Andy is, as you know, he comes from north of Watford. No, Watford, in actual fact, he does. So, and uh, he, he came to join us, uh, he felt called back in uh, August, and he joined us at West Point. Um, then he went on holiday, and then he came back sick. And that's why he hasn't been with us for a number of weeks. He's been poorly, I understand now. He is fighting fit, and he starts a job on Monday training for a job. So he's got a job in Alton, so he'll be with us now. He won't be just flitting in on uh, a Sunday, but will be joining us hopefully each Sunday, uh, God willing, and we'll see him, see him around during the week. So can we just give Andy a very warm welcome? Give me one, one moment to get ready. Well, uh, yeah, before I begin, I um, just want to say a very warm welcome. I'm aware I've not met um, most of you. Uh, I very much look forward to getting to know you. Over the next few weeks, um, I'd appreciate your prayers um, as I settle into Alton, as I um, start a new new job uh, tomorrow. That would be that would be great. But I'm a lot more excited um, about this morning and this series of encounters with Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage from Mark's Gospel called "The Calming of the Storm." And as I've been preparing for this morning, God's really impressed two things upon me. Firstly, I believe God wants to do a work of equipping this morning. And secondly, I think more importantly, God wants to set people free from debilitating fear and anxiety. And we're going to see how he does that through this encounter. So I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, do have that open. It's going to be Mark 4 verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Just let me pray before we begin. Father God, we thank you um, that you've not left us in the dark. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you sent your son. And I pray, Lord, this morning we would be so open and so receptive to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as you start, I wonder if you could just indulge me for one moment. And if you just 
pop up your hand um, if you're a person who loves thunderstorms. Okay, brilliant. So that's probably about half, half of the room. Um, it seems like it's a bit of a, a Marmite thing. You either love thunderstorms or you, you hate them. Um, I'm very much in the, uh, in the latter. Um, about six weeks ago, uh, in Watford, wherever that is, there was an almighty um, thunderstorm. You could feel it you know, in the air throughout the day. Then in the evening, the rain comes lashing down. You hear that clap of thunder and the room just lights up with the lightning. And today's encounter is all around a storm. Only this storm is much scarier because this is a storm at sea. And through this encounter, we're going to see as a people, Jesus wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be dependent. And finally, he wants us to be encouraged. So firstly, Jesus wants us to be prepared. We see uh, in verses 35 to 38 that the disciples are in no way prepared for this storm. Things uh, have started fairly well. They've spent the day with Jesus. He's been teaching and ministering and healing people. The disciples have been with him, helping in that. And they're tired and they get to the shore and Jesus said, we're going to get in this boat and we're going to go to the other side so we can get some rest. Now, we've got to remember that four of the 12 disciples are fishermen by trade. They actually made their living on this lake, a lake probably about 12 by 7 miles. So there is no way that they would have got in this boat had they anticipated the storm that was to come. And they get out, they start rowing, and suddenly this storm erupts. The winds get stronger and stronger. The waves get bigger and bigger. They're crashing against the boat. And before you know it, the waves are coming into the boat. And don't forget, this is at night, so it's dark. They wouldn't have been able to see the shore. You can't even imagine how kind of claustrophobic and how panic-stricken you would be. And the disciples, they're trying to bail the water out, but it's coming in quicker than they can get it out. They've gone from relative calm to absolute chaos in a matter of moments. And how true of life is that? We can be going along and fairly well, and suddenly a storm of life erupts. Now, a storm of life is something that brings fear and dread, anxiety, uncertainty. That could be anything from uh, physical illness, mental illness, depression, anxiety. It could be unemployment. It could be financial problems. It could be problems with, with your children. It could be the loss of someone you love. You could be being persecuted for your faith in the workplace or at college. And at this point, it's really important to remember that Jesus doesn't ever promise to his followers an easy life. At one point, he actually says, in this life, you will have trouble. And, uh, and I read that, and I love that. I love that Jesus is real and genuine and authentic. Now, don't get me wrong, the privileges of following Jesus far outweigh any cost. We have to hold on to that. And as well as that, in this life, we have an enemy. It's an enemy who's been defeated. It's an enemy on borrowed time. But in that time, he's going to try and cause as much destruction and as much disillusionment as possible. There's a chap called Simon Holly. He leads a 
New Frontiers Church in Bedford, and he, in one of his books, he says the Christian life is less like a cruise ship and more like a battleship. You go on a cruise to get away from your problems. If those problems arise, you want your money back. It was on a battleship. You're anticipating problems. You're ready for them. But we've got to remember that that is a battle that has already been won. So we need to be prepared. Secondly, Jesus wants us to be dependent. So we go back to the boat amidst just the chaos and the carnage of this scene. We read this really bizarre detail that Jesus is in the boat, but he's asleep in the stern. Now, I don't think this is um, so Jesus can then make a very dramatic entrance onto the scene. Jesus is absolutely exhausted after a day ministering to people. When Jesus came from heaven to earth, he was born a human being. He had a human body with all of the limitations that we have. And his body's depleted and he needs rest. So he's grabbing this time to get some sleep. So amidst the desperation, the disciples wait Jesus. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? No, I don't think for a moment they expect he's going to do what he's going to do. And Jesus gets up. He looks out of the boat. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves three words, quiet, be still. And there was immediate calm. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a swimming pool and it has a, a wave machine, and you'll know long after that wave machine, those waves are still sloshing and sloshing. But that's not the scene we have here. Jesus has absolute control, absolute mastery over creation. And the disciples ask, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I don't know if the disciples realize it, but they have just asked the most important question any of us could ever ask. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? If you've taken part in an Alpha course, you'll know the very first week, the title of that week is, Who is Jesus? It's a question we all have to do something with. And Jesus' response, he says to them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, what Jesus is, is saying in effect is, if you really knew me, if you knew why I'd come, if you knew what I was about to do, you'd be able to trust me in this. And I don't think we want to be too hard on the disciples at this point, because they're very on, early on in their journey with Jesus. Um, they've seen Jesus heal people, but they've never seen anything of this magnitude. And in exactly the same way, we're all on a journey. Some of us are further along than others, and that's why we need each other. That's why God gives us the church. Now, in that boat, there's two things that the disciples needed to know about Jesus. There's two things that we need to know about Jesus. Firstly, is that Jesus is all-powerful. We've seen that in the way that he just commands the wind 
and the waves and the bay. If you look at ancient mythology, so often the gods, it's the god of the sun, it's the god of the sea, the god of the moon. It's that acknowledgement that as humans we do not control these elements. And I wonder, excuse me, I wonder whether those 12 disciples who would have been very familiar with the Old Testament, if their mind went back to the prophet Elijah, a prophet who lived around about 800 years before this scene. There's one point you can read about it in 1 Kings 17. Elijah prays to God and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Now, I've got family in the northwest of England. If it didn't rain for three and a half days, they would declare that a miracle. But the point is, Elijah, this great man of faith, he didn't have the power in and of himself. He prayed to God for that miracle to happen. And you can hear almost the penny drop for the disciples that they find themselves in a boat with a man who's just done something that only God could do. Because Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God. And if you're here today, maybe you're new to Christianity, um, maybe you're just not sure, you're on the fence, I really want to encourage you that you can know God. I don't mean you can know God exists or that God's an idea or a power, but you can know God personally. That when you see Jesus, you see God. So when you see Jesus caring and looking after the marginalised, you see God caring and looking after the marginalised. When you see the way Jesus defines love, you see the way that God defines love. And this means that because you can know God, you can have a relationship with him. So just to give you some uh, perspective on Jesus' power, um, there should be a, a slide. Right, so obviously we're, we're on the, uh, the planet Earth. Now if you were to drive from the North Pole all the way down to the South Pole, and then back up the other side, and you were to, to drive at 60 miles an hour, non-stop, that journey would take you 17 days, two and a half weeks. If you were to drive the equivalent distance from Earth to Jupiter, that journey would take you over 90 years, 60 miles an hour, non-stop. And this is our... Um, solar system, which is part of the Milky Way galaxy. And it's estimated that there are over 2 billion galaxies. At that point, my, my brain just shuts down. I can't even begin to comprehend how big and vast that is. But then we read in the book of Colossians about Jesus. It should come up. It says, about Jesus... All things have been, been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So this tells us that not only did Jesus create everything, that right now, in this moment, he's sustaining everything. He's sustaining the roof above us. The reason our hearts 
are beaten is because Jesus is sustaining us. So that's Jesus' power. But the second thing the disciples need to know, and that what we need to know, is that Jesus is all loving. He's all good. In this scene that's unfolded in this boat, he's not going to let his disciples drown. He's made promises to them. He said, you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. And they've not really seen that yet. But if we were to go forward 12 chapters, we find Jesus doing something infinitely greater for his disciples and for us. We find Jesus not in a wooden boat. We find Jesus nailed to a wooden cross. The religious authorities have accused Jesus of blasphemy, of claiming to be God. The political authorities fear him, that he's going to spark an insurrection. But the real reason Jesus is on that cross is more profound. Jesus is there dying for our sins. That on the cross, Jesus takes all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. We've just sang, faultless, we stand before the throne. Jesus deals with our sin once and for all. He doesn't magic it away. He takes it upon himself. And then in that song, we sing, dressed in his righteousness, Alone. So not only does he take our sin away, he puts his robe of righteousness, that robe that is without blemish or without spot. You see, he dies for our sin. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin that says, I want to do things my way. I want to push God to the side. I don't want God to interfere. I want to call the shots. And through the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. We can be adopted into God's family. We can be brought into his kingdom. We can have the promise of eternal life. And it's not just our sin that is dealt with, because three days later, Jesus will rise from the dead, triumphing over death and the powers of darkness that they too have been defeated, so that we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear the schemes of Satan, that they have been defeated. And if we go back to, you don't need to, to bring it up, but if you just think of, of how big that universe and how easy it would be just to feel completely lost in it, much like um, if you go into London in the middle of summer, you just feel completely lost in those crowds. Yet God's love, like a laser, falls on this planet. Because that's how committed God is to this world. That's how much Jesus loves us as individuals. It's how much Jesus loves us as a church. It's how much Jesus loves the town of Alton. It's why God's heart breaks for those that don't yet know him. And if we go back to the boat, we see that this encounter is not just about knowing um, truths, the truths are what it's built on, but it's also experiencing. This is a very felt and experienced thing. Jesus' physical presence in that boat changes everything. You know, the focus for us, we're not on storm, we're focusing 
on Jesus. And uh, this is certainly something that I've often thought. In fact, I think you know when we find ourselves in uh, a difficult situation, we might think something along the lines of, um, it's okay for the disciples because they physically had Jesus there that you know, they could talk to him, they could pray with him, they could you know, receive comfort from him. It's, it's different for us. But that's exactly what we have. Because when we become a Christian, we're born again. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And part of that new creation is that God's spirit lives. God's spirit dwells in us. The book of Romans calls that the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Jesus lives in us. And this is great news because it means that Jesus is with you wherever you go. Whatever situation you face, Jesus goes with you. So that means you no longer have to depend on your own strength. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, leaning on Jesus. So, Jesus, I'm not strong enough. I'm not able enough to do that. Will you help me? Will you get me through this storm? And Jesus promises that he will do that. It's all I've prayed, that Jesus is so dependable. He's so good. He is the cornerstone on which everything is built, no matter how big the storm is that you might be in at the moment, that you can know the power and the goodness of Jesus, that Jesus wants you to know that. He doesn't want you to have to fight and labor alone. Just to, um, to say we're all, we're all different. We meet with God in different ways, but you know, there's something about pushing into the presence of Jesus. And for some of us, that might be taking a couple of lines of Scripture and just meditate and having 10, 15 minutes where you just meditate on those trees. Some of us will uh, feel more comfortable with a worship track that proclaims truth. And some of us, it might be taking a walk in nature so that you just have that time when you're kind of away from everything and you can be with Jesus because it's in his presence that we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Just to ground some of this, um, I became a Christian when I was 24, um, so I've been a Christian for eight years now, and they've been eight incredible years. But uh, before that, I uh, suffered from crippling anxiety, and it really did determine and dictate um, life. So uh, I had to be homeschooled, uh, I had a place at Southampton, but there's no way I was going to get there, but God's got me to Hampshire eventually. And uh, I went through every type of therapy. Uh, I went on every type of medication. I was on a huge doses of Valium. And nothing could make a dent on the anxiety. And just the fact, I just felt afraid all of the time. And things got much worse. And, but through that, um, God found me. And in his goodness and his grace, he forgave me and he restored me. And I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can only describe it as being the contrast from night to day. And uh, the thing that really stood out was sleep. So before 
going to bed would always be the worst part of the day because when you go to bed, you, you're thinking about the, you know, the next day and you're kind of worrying about all the things that might happen. And I just remember I would go to bed and my head would hit the pillow and then I would be out for eight hours because I knew as I read the Gospels that even as I slept, Jesus was running the universe. He's all-powerful, but more than that, he's all good. He's for me. So I could trust him with that. So finally, God wants us to be encouraged. So I just want my chewing gum. <laughs> Excuse me. Right. God wants us to be encouraged. And when we go through storms, storms of life, they change us. And God so often uses them. It's often those difficult times where the roots of our faith go deepest. We grow in maturity, we grow in wisdom, we grow in compassion, we grow in love. And these storms, they're never random, and they're never without cause. And we know that because God gives us a promise. This is a a promise we find in the book of Romans. It should come up. God's promise for us is, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That even the very worst situations, God promises to work for good. Now, I think most of these storms that we go through will pass in this life, and it will be um, you know, quite obvious how God's used it. But some storms, they won't pass in this lifetime. My best friend lost his dad uh, to cancer two weeks ago, and you know our prayers that he would be healed weren't answered. And his dad passed away, but his dad now is with Jesus in glory. He is now home. God working all things for the good of those who love him, where everything that's broken will be made right. And God can make this promise because he's Lord of history. He's in charge of history. One of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 139 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And just as God has ordained every day of our lives, God has ordained every day of history till Jesus returns. And this means we don't have to be afraid because we know that the one who's gone before us, he's all-powerful and he's all good. So we're just going to have some time now to respond. I thought it would be good. Maybe if we just have um, two minutes. Um, and I just wonder if you're, if you're in a storm at the moment, um, this would be a great time to cry out to Jesus, to say, Jesus, help, I'm drowning. I need your help. And it might not be, it might be that you're not in a storm, you're in a, a good place. And you might just want to say thank you. Thank you to God for getting you through the storms, for the place that he's got you. And I just want to say that, um, you know, if you're here today and, you know, and I said you're someone who's really struggling with this and you'd like um, someone to pray with you, there'll be a chance at the end um, to come forward and there'll be people who love um, 
to pray with you. So why don't we just take a couple of minutes and, and just push into the presence of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the, the truth, Lord, in, in this encounter. Lord, we thank you, Lord, because of your power and because of your goodness, we don't have to be afraid, Lord. Just reminded of that verse in, in 1 Peter, Lord, that says, cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares about you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who cares. You are our perfect Father who is involved in the lives of his children, Lord, that you don't want us to kind of labor like the disciples in the storm, Lord, trying to bail that water out quicker than it's coming in, Lord. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, even now, as we're sat here, pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would do that work, Lord, in your power, that you would set people free, Lord, where fear and anxiety and worry has, has just bound people and held them back and, and held them down, Lord, where there might be days where they don't even want to get up, Lord, they don't even want to leave the house, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you are committed to us, Lord, that you are faithful to us, Lord, that we do not go through storms alone, Lord, that you are there with us. I pray, Lord, that you would impress that upon us, Lord, that we would know, we would feel, we would experience 
your love and your presence. Pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that, that doesn't know you, Lord, who has been, you know, looking in, you know, wondering, what is this all about, Lord, that, you know, you would, you know, just bless that person or bless that people, reveal yourself to them, Lord, reveal the truth of, of who you are and what you've done for them, Lord, that you love them enough to die for them on a cross, on a rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem. So thank you, Lord, that, you know, as we end, Lord, your work doesn't end. Lord, your work goes on. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, please, if um, you're here and you, you want prayer, um, please, please come to the forward, come to the front um, at the end, and we would love to pray for you. And if you're, you're here and you have questions about Jesus, about Christianity, likewise, come to the front. We would love to talk about you. It would be great if we could um, finish and respond in, in song. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Christine if she could come back up.